really got to try on that left hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the podcast that brings you news, reviews, previews, maybe some other things that rhyme with use, and of course, smashing interviews, which is something I've been very grateful for for the life of this pod. So today, let's just say that Christmas has come a little bit early for me, because the co-host of my absolute favorite podcast has managed to carve out a little bit of time to sit down for a wee gab with little old me. I'm very excited. So if you're looking for an hysterically funny and hugely insightful podcast that is at least ostensibly about rugby, you should, uh, obviously at the end of this episode, of course, find and subscribe to the Blood and Mud podcast available anywhere you can find your ordinary podcast. It's it's not going to be hard to find, believe me. So Lee Calvert, the co-host and all-around talented gentleman, has agreed to join us here on the Scrum of the Earth, and I'm very excited to bring you our conversation. So as always, I'm David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game all over the world. If you'd like to get in touch, please, by any means, I encourage you to do so. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just drop me an email directly at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So it's always great to hear from you. And if you haven't reached out yet, you know, maybe drop me a line and tell me how your holiday weekend is going. So with the admin out of the way, please enjoy this special Christmas Eve bonus podcast to make your holiday bright. I'm going to... Um... So, everybody, I'm very excited about this. My special guest today is Lee Calvert, who co-hosts the best rug- rugby podcast I know of. It's called the Blood and Mud Rugby Podcast, but come to think of it, it's, it's really not all about rugby, is it? Is it fair to say the, the subject matter tends to be far-flung and wide? And, and, am uh, I, and am I okay to call you Lee? Yes, everyone calls me Lee. Uh, the, uh, well, the... Um... First of all, thank you very much for saying that. Yes, I am one half of the Blood Road podcast that we do still say is a rugby podcast. I still think most of it is rugby, and I still think most people tune in to listen to whatever we have to say about rugby, which still mystifies me a little bit. But we've never <laughs> been we've never been afraid of going off on tangents, I guess, especially at this stage. We're six years in now. So I think the listenership that we've got kind of understand who we are and know that we go off on one. And I suppose the beautiful thing about podcasts is, is that you know, they're not live streaming, are they? If you want to stop listening or click the forward 30 seconds button loads of times to get to the bit you want to hear, you can do that. So I think I've never really worried too much about rambling on and on because people either not listen or just skip the bits they don't like. So it's it's, it's the wonderful modern, if you can call it broadcasting, broadcasting world. But thanks for having me on and thank you for that lovely intro. Well, the uh, you and Josh have a, a great dynamic at this stage too, where you, you sort of get. It feels like you know when it's a good chance for you to go off on a tangent, and you know when it's a good chance for him to go off on a tangent, especially if it's you know something dire about Welsh rugby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, well, we as I said, we've been doing it. I started the podcast and I, I did a couple of episodes on my own, which um, is difficult because you have to kind of script it really because there's no one to kind of bounce off like we might be doing now. So I started casting around for co-hosts and I need Josh through Twitter and basically said, do you fancy giving this a go? And he said, yeah. And I think I've not listened all the way back, but I know some people who have listened all the way back after joining quite late and said it was quite obvious straight away that we kind of, the chemistry was kind of there. It's got better, but the basis of it was kind of there. 
And yeah, and then when you've done it every week since 2015, you do tend to know when you can expect somebody to laugh or when you can expect somebody to pick a conversation up or when to leave a gap or not leave a gap. And that's um, particularly noteworthy when you sometimes get guests and they were great, but you sometimes find yourself going, oh, Josh would normally speak there. So you have to kind oh, of prompt yeah, it yeah. again, sort of thing. So you get a bit, so I'll just stop, expect somebody to start, and you can actually the the guest is waiting for me to ask a question or point at them or, or do something, whereas, yeah. So it is a kind of chemistry that we've got, you're right. And, and often I can just say something and let Josh go off and sit back for 10 well, minutes and go make a cup of tea and come back. That's <laughs> it, really. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting too because every now and then there's the app where you're away. Recently, you were you were ill, and Josh hosted. And uh, host Josh is much different than co-host Josh. <laughs> I don't know if you it's go back funny. and listen to these, but it's it's a real difference. I do, yeah, people. I do. He's actually very good at it when he mm. has to do it. He just prefers to sit there and kind of grump for a bit. He's, he's not always that grump. I think he gets a bit more of a. He's he's he, he has a reputation he doesn't quite deserve. I think he just gets a bit frustrated at times. Well, yeah, everyone laughs about how happy-go-lucky host Josh is, <laughs> which I think he's having must conduct most of his life. You can't just go through your whole life being, being fed up with stuff, can you? So, but <laughs> well, he's not here. I'm conscious he's not here, so I don't want to speak for him. <laughs> well, he's I mean, great. He'd, he'd, if he did set up a podcast of his own and host it, he would do a great job. I think. Oh yeah, the uh, you know in the rugby shirt watch days, I probably would have tuned in for that. <laughs> and uh, big light or lamp is a game I play often nowadays too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Another thing that we just completely invented. Yeah. It's, it's always amazing when the weird thing about doing the podcast is, is that obviously you just speak and we've just spoken for six years, as I've said, every week. You know, I think we're up to 200. And, well, the number of episodes, we're up to 266 episodes. We've wow. always got extra episodes that aren't numbered. So I think in total, we've put out 300 plus wow. products. Um, and what you find is, I say stuff and completely forgot I've ever said it. I remember certain features we've done, or, certain, or Josh will say stuff. And then you get people like yourself who just mentioned Big Lion Man, which I do remember because it has become a bit of a running theme now. But the amount of times people say stuff back to me, I've got, I've got no idea what you're talking about, which is really bad as well because sometimes you've probably expressed an opinion which people quite like. Remember when he said that? No, but nope. I don't believe it now. And then, of course, <laughs> in the modern day and age, like when you've said it once, therefore you can never change your opinion about anything. So you always fight against that. So yeah, so it's um, yeah, it's, but it is very nice to think that there's people who remember what we say and remember enough to say it back to us. It's, it never stops being strange and lovely. Well, naturally, I went and tried to look you up and just see if I could find any little sort of basic facts about you to share with people. Uh, you seem to have the, the hatches battened down pretty well, though, on the internet wise, because <laughs> all I found was this. So I found. <clears throat> Lee Calvert is a sports writer whose work has been published in The Guardian, The Cricketer, didn't know that, Rugby World, and Rugby Pass, among others. An Oldham athletic fan, he understandably seeks solace in 80s and 90s football with the Nesson Dorma podcast. I think it's fair to say you've had some success with a different podcast since then. <laughs> Where's that from? <laughs> well, the Nesson Dorma podcast. Yeah. Uh, we ran that, uh, we stopped doing that just this year, actually. Is that right? Yeah, so it was myself and a few people that I know talked about old football. We did about 50 episodes of that, probably about 100 hours of so stuff looking at football from the 80s and 90s. Yes, I am an old athletic fan. Those listeners, oh. They are a team in Greater Manchester. We are currently in the lowest tier of professional football in England. And looking like we may drop out of that, it's been a very, very miserable time. Uh, to oh. be a fan. But in the, in the 90s, we were in the Premier League for a brief, wonderful couple of years. 
Really? So we did. We, we were in the top, and then, then we toppled out. It all went really badly wrong after that. So that's why that seven six solace in old football. So the so the, the soccer, as it would be for you, if you got any American listeners, is so it focuses on eighties and nineties football. But what you find is with the Blood and Mud podcast, you can watch a game, log on, and as you've already said, we can talk a bit about the rugby, then meander off on all kinds of things. With the football one, it needs a lot of research. So I found we just haven't got the brain space to do all the research and. <laughs> So you know bits about it, but you don't. You have to go in and get the detail. And football, the football audience is a different one. They expect you to know what you're talking about in detail and will tell you when you don't. Whereas uh, I think that the listenership we've got in Blood and Mud accepts all of our foibles, really. So, <laughs> so yeah, so I, did, I, I ran that alongside Blood and Mud probably from about 2017 onwards, but we've kind of stopped now. But it's still there. You can still go and listen to it. Oh, wow. I don't host all of them. It's about a group of about four of us that mixed it up with them. So if you, if you like listening to stories about football from the 80s and 90s in England and Scotland and uh, the culture around it and some of the media around it and if that's there if people are interested. Well the, uh, the football history so some of your pods that you've done with Dr. T- Tony Collins just got me so interested and he actually was kind enough to come and, and sit and meet with me and have an, a great interview. Yeah, which was he's, a great, he's a great he's very generous with his time he really I'm is incredibly knowledgeable and can just fish it out of nowhere it's incredible really. yeah like you were saying about doing the research i feel like he's done so much it's just there he can just sort of he doesn't yeah. have to go get yeah. a book off the shelf he just goes click oh here yeah. it is it's incredible uh so the the thing they they don't mention when i looked you up there and i hope you don't mind me giving this away mm-hmm. though obviously with your the <laughs> people aren't going to see this but with the sweatshirt you're wearing right now yeah, uh, and I think I've reached out with my condolences previously. You, you are, in fact, a Cleveland Browns fan. I guess the question is, do you have plausible deniability? <laughs> um, I suppose I've said this before, but I've already mentioned my football team. And um, I also, the other code of rugby, which is rugby league, I grew up in a rugby league town um, called League in Lancashire, just outside Manchester. Um, and that team is nothing but misery, really. We, we won the... <laughs> We won the first division as it was then in 1981. We've not really won anything since. We're a bit of a relegated promotion type team. It's always hard work. Old Athletic have already mentioned are toppling out of professional sport. Um, and I suppose Cleveland Browns, when I was looking for a team, and it was sort of in the night period, I was looking, uh, seemed to fit into my what I want from a sports team, really, which is not a very nice industrial town that has a bit of heart. Uh, massively overblown. Um, importance of the sports team with very little chance of them making you happy really god knows why i do it but i just so i basically picked i, I picked that, that team and i went I, you know there's something about them around. the fact they've got no logo on the helmet the fact they're dressed in brown the fact they're from cleveland there's something about it just thinks i just really i no, just love it really you, and, um, and you can't beat the helmets it's it's fantastic yeah, and then and obviously then I, I did stay up because I'm off work this week. I stayed up Monday UK time. The game finished at one in the morning. And obviously, I had to watch the Browns lose another game with the last kick of the game, the game again because it's they have a complete impossibility of shutting games. Yeah, and it's like it's like a script. It's incredible. And our and our third down, we can't convert our third downs. We can't stop letting teams playing against us convert their third downs. And it's infuriating. So, but then again, I don't think I'd be happy. I'm happy that it, I'm only happy when I'm miserable in sport. I think is what I've learned now. Well, to, and to be fair, they're they're plagued by injuries this year. Um, I don't want to get too much into Browns football, but uh, are, are you a? Where do you stand on Baker? Is he a keeper? Is uh, um, I don't think he. Um, I don't. He's, well, if I bring you back to rugby for a minute, it reminds me a little bit of Finn Russell. 
there's a lot there's a lot there there's a lot going on really undoubtedly a very talented player but i don't think he's you can ever really trust him to constantly deliver wins for you <laughs> and i think that's the worry and people i know there's a lot of people who love Finn Rustin, so really out of order and he is an incredibly talented player but there's something there's a stench of that about me a bit of a kind of I'm not quite sure if I can trust you to deliver wins all the time. I mean, it's not just his fault this year. It's easy to focus on that, but because the defence is great. But uh, yeah, but yeah. Anyway, yeah, we could worry about that for a while. But yeah, so I don't. I suppose you've got you get into kind of money ball value on the replacement player, don't you? It's like, well, who would you replace him with, and would they be better? Right. I mean, I don't are, know. You know, I, think I don't. Are, I don't enough about drafts or transfers. I'm not close enough to it to know. And I suppose you've got to be careful what you wish for. <laughs> That's true. So, uh, and just as a quick uh, little serious side thing, I, so I get from listening to your pod, I get the vague sense that uh, you and your partner are both connected with health services in some sort of way. And uh, I just want to do a check in. It's just before Christmas now. Is everybody safe and healthy going into the holiday this weekend? We're okay. I'm off work this week. I work in social care. I work in also linking with, um, I deal a lot with hospital discharges and vulnerable people in the community. Yeah, it's, 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 I don't want to bore you too much, but it's, it's the word unprecedented keeps getting used so much that it can't be unprecedented anymore. Right. This situation, but it's, uh, it, it feels particularly worrying. And we're, we're worried, worried quite a bit about January in terms of with the, with the Omicron thing, because not so much that the Omicron's going to kill lots of people, because I don't think it will, but what it might do is mean that 40% of your workforce can't come to work. Mm. And that might risk causing harm to people. So it's, yeah. It's got to be serious well, there. Well, but it is, you know, we're doing as hard. It's it's been an unbelievable eighteen months, two years. Oh, well, I, I'm I'm pretty sure the UK government took care of that. They, they shut down. You know, Cardiff couldn't come back. Munster couldn't come back. So I think you're fine, right? No, uh, no, no Omicron, right? Well, the Wales government have. That's the problem. If you, if those of you who don't know, if you're in America, obviously Wales has got its own government, and the Welsh government control their healthcare policy. So they've decided to do certain things, but England haven't done the same thing. So right. that's the you have a bit of that going on. So I'm not yeah. going to get into the politics of it. Effectively, Wales can make its own decisions about lockdowns and healthcare. Effectively, yeah. Well, I learned a lot about that recently with the, you know, the, the questions about why don't they have quarantine hotels and it just doesn't make sense in Wales and so on. But yeah, I don't. I think we all have had about enough of that. Yeah. So your son's at uni right now. He's home. I think you said he recently he's home for the holidays, and my son's in kindergarten. So strange time to be trying. Same <laughs> strange time to be trying to be a student, right? <laughs> it's better this year than last year he actually got to go and he's been going to in-person lessons um, and stuff like that but obviously he was supposed to have gone to uni last year but he ended up going a year later and uh, oh. if he'd have gone last year he wouldn't have been he'd just been sat in his you know his dorm as you would call it probably right. full-time just doing it online learning so it's probably better he's gone this year but it's who knows again who knows what will happen in january when he, he goes back but yeah he's he, he's certainly enjoying it he's having fun that's good he is, yeah, but he's working. Well, I hope he's working. I tell me he is. I'm sure we'll find out. <laughs> well, that beer's and not how's your How's your boy finding kindergarten? Oh, he, he loves it. And he, he likes to, you know, he comes home and says, I'm good at math and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I was the worst. I'm a firm student. believer that if you think you're going to do well at something, you probably will. So he needs to hold on to that. Well, my hope is that he models his mom instead of me because, you know, I was a terrible, terrible, you know, straight D student. And uh, it took me 13 and a half years to get a, an undergraduate college degree. And uh, meanwhile, my wife was uh, summa cum laude at Boston University. And, you know, so please, please let him be like her. 
yeah, well, you know, I mean, sometimes people leave school. I don't know school with pretty shit results, really, but the um, it, it's not be all. It should you should do the best you can, but it's not the be all and end all of anything. Yeah, well, spent I, your whole I, life building a career or learning stuff. So. Our goal is to have him be a kind person who feels confident and is an avid reader, and I th- feel like everything else will be fine after that. Yeah. So how are you actually enjoying the rugby this year? So I, I know, you know, for your pod, you follow the Prem and the URC. How do you think these competitions are, are going, uh, apart from the utter shambolicness of the South Africa gate, of course? Yeah, I mean, if you, it's a funny season, really. It's hard to pick. If it, it's, I'm enjoying it. I think having crowds, but I think after so long without crowds, actually having games. I think that's the thing. Sometimes we can get a bit worked up about this. So the fact we've got games on with crowds in, at least for now, um, there's, we should just enjoy it, really. Mm. It's, it, and I think there's a lot of good games. The effect of the 18 months in quarantine and not being able to pre-season properly and all that stuff, I think we're seeing some of that because the games are slightly chaotic in, mm. in many ways. Lots of strange scores, high scores. From an English point of view, from an English premiership point of view, the rebirth of Leicester is, is, is good, I think. I mean, nobody liked it when Leicester won everything. You know, they were kind of the Saracens of their time and not by the Saracens, but they... they they were, but I think a bit like English rugby needs a strong Leicester. It keeps everybody honest. And something to, it, it makes things feel normal again. Because so, Leicester are meant to be brilliant. When they weren't for a while, it made me feel a bit weird. So I, I've, I've been hearing that a lot. It seems like a lot of people are saying Leicester being strong is good for English rugby. But so I started watching, I don't know, five years ago. So they were kind of meh when I started watching. And so, so yeah. what is that? What is it about that? that club that is important, you know, to the, to the sport? I think there's some, it's one, a couple of things. One, it makes you feel that everything is is right because that's the way it's meant to be. Uh, The second thing is that they've always been quite a powerhouse in the games that they've produced. And they've always been a kind of lightning rod for how everybody should achieve. And I think Saracen, and there's something about the legacy that they bring with them as well, because Saracens, as successful as they've been recently, were terrible for a very long time, even with all the money that was thrown at them. I think before their first championship, they hadn't, the only trophy they won was, was, was the Tetley's Cup back in the 90s or something huh. like that. Um, and likewise, uh, Exeter came out now, which is, which is a reasonable story and stuff. But there's something about Leicester bring all this history and legacy with them. In a way, they're the ones you're supposed to want to beat and the ones that are supposed to be dragging the world along. And, and in a way, if they can't sort themselves out, and they can't keep themselves going. You start to worry about the sport Mm. Because like, well, if they can't make it work with everything they've got going for them, and in history is indicator of everything, I know. But um, but I think that's what it is. I think there's something around. It makes everybody feel slightly more comfortable until they start winning everything, and then it makes people feel really pissed off. <laughs> but uh, that's a that's kind of a, yeah. But the, again, and they they are the recognisable hate figure of English rugby. Saracens came along, and everyone was like, oh, I, I don't like them, but. I'm not, you know, you're supposed to laugh at Saracens really for a long time and actually yeah. really anything. Um, Saracens were kind of, a, especially because all the money they got for such a long time, it didn't materialise into any kind of success. And then it did, obviously, hugely. But um, so you could kind of, so, but they're, yeah, they're the ones that are meant to be the people that you're going for. And I think well, that's a good thing. Well, that's when I came in. The Saracens Death Star was already fully operational when I <laughs> sort of started watching, and it seemed like they were the big baddies that everyone wanted to beat. And poor little Exeter is just nipping at their heels, and uh, Leicester just kind of didn't register. But I, I'm enjoying this now. You know, now the the series kind of got awkwardly 
put back in their place. And then, uh, and the Chiefs seem to be struggling with some karma right now. So I'm enjoying seeing the Tigers uh, unbeatable right now. Yes, they are. But I, and we'll see what happens. I mean, the thing about because of the playoff system, a bit like in football, I suppose, with the playoff system, I think most good coaches know you don't have to be brilliant now. You just have to get into the top four mm, when the playoffs it's true. start. It's true. And you have to time your playoff run then, really. Um, oh, well, so I think I, I, what, as, a, as a Patriots fan, I know that going unbeaten in the regular season doesn't really matter in the end. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, but I think Rob Baxter's working through some stuff at Exeter, like you mentioned. But he's a very, very good coach, and I think he will somehow time his... I think you'll find they're very strong coming into April, May for the playoffs. And Saracens might fall off a bit because the squad's a bit thin, but um, we'll see. Well, so the Premiership have announced they're lowering their salary cap, I think, starting next year. And um, the URC, I think, at the beginning of this year, increased theirs a little. There was some sort of deal with adding the South African teams. It's still obviously a lower figure, but... You know, as you and Josh were discussing this week, there's already a lot of sort of high-profile player movement. So do you think this is going to be a time of leveling for these two leagues? I hear a lot of people sort of slagging off the artist formerly known as the Pro 14, saying how, how much better the Prem is. Is this a chance for these two competitions to sort of become more equal? Uh, no, in a word, because I think, uh, to, to keep it short, we've got to remember with the lower the salary cap in England, but they've also got a marquee player rule. So in fact, that probably gives you another million or two on your, oh. on your salary cap because that they're not included in the cap. So, the, so there's that. Um, I just, I don't think it'll, and it's a lot of money still. I think there will be some stuff moving around. I don't think it's going to level it up. And I think the, the, the URC is struggling to attract, it's got a brand problem. I don't think a lot of really good players want to go there. I think Wales are trying to fight against that by saying you have to play here to play for the country, which is not bad for you, but I don't think, to be honest. But it's got a brand issue. And it's also, you know, you can't escape the fact that Ireland are just the strongest team, have the strongest teams. I think it's difficult to say, well, I don't want to play every week to lose to an Irish team, which, and I know there's some controversy over how Ireland structures its finances, because obviously the IRFU see a lot of stuff, some of it's quite opaque. So how they fit within the salary cap is always an interesting thing to consider. But um, I just, I don't think so. I think possibly we'll see. But, I don't, but if you look at the European performances over the weekend, you nothing screams a suggestion that the English teams are miles ahead. But I think ultimately, structurally, you give it, if you if you, if you look to the graph over five years, they'll still come out on top. Hmm. And the top 14, of course, with their £10 million salary cap, which is unbelievable, really. <laughs> <laughs> so about the European competitions, is, is there any salvaging this this year? Uh, I mean, they've made such a bumbling botch of this whole thing. I, I think so, because I think that, I think everyone will forget all this when the knockout rounds start. Right. There'll be some grumbling about who got into the knockout rounds and why, and who was diddled on or shat on by the European, uh, you know, rugby organisation. But actually... I think once we get the quarterfinals underway, and especially if they get crowds back, I think people will be, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll kind of move it out of the way. I think that, you know, in all honesty, it's good to have European rugby to watch, but I don't think people get that excited until the groups have decided anyway. Mm. And they just kind of made it just an even more of a they made a they made a structure to make you give even less of a toss about the group stages, really. This year and then he just moves on to the, to the knockout. So, I, so in short, I think it will be salvageable. There'll be a lot of grumbling along the way. But I think when the quarterfinals start, then people will just start watching the game again and get excited. 
Yeah, I, I basically, I, I want permission to be able to just say, okay, you know, maybe these outcomes are sort of either prearranged and or meaningless, but I never get to see Racing play. I never get to see Toulouse play. I just want to, I want to watch these teams for a, cha- a chance. And I mean, you know, they, they even wear different uniforms. Like the whole thing is like this, this whole separate animal that you get. And I'm like, I, I want yeah. this to be a gift. I mean, I mean let's not forget, it's, you know, it's, it is rotten to the core in many ways. It must be <laughs> towards French and English clubs and it just is, you know, but that's what we've got. So everything that we're seeing now is fruit of the same poison tree when they changed the tournament a few years ago, you know, so it is what it is. So unless you have a big, long discussion about a completely restructured tournament again, which I don't want to have, and neither does anybody else because it's not happening. So, you know, it's we've got what we've got. It just, uh, I think, as Josh said on Monday, this latest round of decision-making just brings into sharp relief what they created. You know, you can ignore it as much it's, as you can. It's until shocking. It's it held shocking. in front of your face, written in big letters, you know. <laughs> it, it, it's shocking the boldness with which they make these terrible decisions and and then the the deafening silence that follows it's it, it's pretty remarkable it, it really feels like there's just this room of old white guys sitting there with their cigars and three-piece suits and just saying no no <laughs> <laughs> yeah so but again i think you know at some point it'll be quarterfinals and people will be tuning in and it'll be fine so as you may or may not know, I, I follow and support Scotland. And to me, they actually look, and I hesitate to say it out loud, but they look fairly legitimate right now. Is the Scottish Renaissance for real? I think it depends. Well, you've got to, well, the best way to answer that. I think yes, because I think they're better. I think the forwards look better. I think they've got some depth in the forwards, because ultimately you can talk all the, we can talk all we want, but then we'll be hits of stuff and three, two, two, Two one one two position, you know, shapes. That ultimately, you need some forwards who are going to go out there and kick the shit out of people, basically, mm-hmm. to a level at which it allows you to win a game, and nothing ever changes really. Um, and they seem to have that. They've got some nastiness. They've got some dynamism back. Um, some young guys. Yeah, as well. They've got some. They've got some good stuff coming through. I do think that um, it depends when you say Renaissance is what do they actually want to achieve. Mm. Will they become a team that wins the Six Nations on a regular? Probably not. But will they be a team that finishes in the top half of the Six Nations and picks up some good wins in the autumn regularly and maybe get as a good shout and maybe make the World Cup semi-final with a win behind them? That'll Possibly. Be nice. Possibly. Um, yeah, I think that's probably where they're... Which is, sounds like I'm kind of you know, damning them with their praise. I'm not. When you think about the size of the player pool and what they're dealing with and the right. budgets and the URC, I think that having a consistent international team that can finish in the top half of the Six Nations consistently, make the quarterfinals, and sorry, well, they've always been fairly consistent in the quarterfinals, actually, in their history, to be fair to them. We'll get a couple of World Cup semi-finals under the belt, and that'll be a good thing to aim for. And have some sustainability, I suppose. Let's not forget, I mean, rugby is just massively in the red everywhere. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, you've got to work, I suppose, in some ways, the only goal should be a sustainable model that doesn't collapse around you like a house of cards, you know? Well, I, I just recently learned that something about like if every Ameri- current American rugby fan actively followed the MLR and bought tickets and everything, that would not be enough to sustain the league. Like there's just not enough fans. That's in interesting. Yeah. yeah. yeah and, that's uh, interesting. It, it really made me think about how sort of American rugby fans have this extra onus now on them to intentionally try to get more people involved instead of just being fans. It was kind of an eye opener. Yeah. That's no, interesting, yeah. Yeah, the MLR's great fun, by the way. I mean, MLR is the way all rugby should be, really. It's really people nice. Are, I mean, it's not, um, I don't say people don't care, they do, but I think they recognize it for what it is. It's it's a little bit of a party, 
Yeah, which definitely. I quite like. Well, and you know, the the closer to the grassroots you get, it also seems there's something just so great about it. Um, there's a, a former student of my wife. She uh, goes to Wellesley College now, and she discovered rugby at Wellesley, and so we went to go see her play this game, and it, it was like their level is oh you'd like to play okay sign up here and you're on the you're uh-huh. on the field and but they're playing against a team who's a little bit better than that and it was their sort of match to see like if you got within this kind of score you can go up to this next echelon next year and stuff and yeah. just but the community vibe there it was it was moving it was it was really great to see at that level yeah no, they always say that there's something about america because obviously there's not a huge amount well there's the nfl isn't there and then there's not a huge amount of professional sport for people with an oval ball after that. So if we can convert some of those people who don't get professional contracts to rugby and stuff, that's always been the dream, hasn't it? Rugby really seems to be happy. It's funny too, because you're actually a rugby league person originally, right? Like you played league. Correct, and, yeah. and I think, yeah. and uh, in a way, league is closer to NFL than rugby union is. You know, the sort of stop start is like a system of downs. There's a lot of similarities there. Yeah, indeed. I think that rugby league really thought he could make a go of it in America, but I mean, it's there's just no international profile in there. At least if you're not a rugby fan in America, you will have seen probably the Rugby World Cup. You know, you'll have, you you may be aware that international rugby exists, right? But I think from a rugby league point of view, you completely agree. Like, what are two rugby's? What are you on about? Sort of thing. It's a, it's it's a strange position to start from. It's absolutely the case. In fact, like so, the the BBC website is different here so when i go to the bbc website and then click on sport the options are you know it says soccer instead of football and then it says cricket formula one rugby union no mention of rugby league not yeah. at all and i'm like this is an this is a british website <laughs> isn't that where people actually watch this it's very strange is it hard to follow where you are or is it you know oh no you can get what you need here based on the bbc's website but i mean the fact is it's an incredibly niche sport I mean, it's got, you know, it's on TV here, on Sky, the same as, and, you know, it's on satellite television, just like Rugby Union is. But it's incredibly niche. It is, it exists in a very small part of the country. There are some teams around the country, but they're very average in nature. It's, it's not hugely participated in. It's very well, it feels a bit like our podcast, really. It's very well loved by the people who follow it, but not a huge or gigantic number of people follow it. Most <laughs> other sports people are looking somewhere else. Um but it's a fantastic game. But it's, it's, I, I remember talking to Tony Collins about it, funny enough, saying, you know, because when Rugby League, was, Rugby League, you know, was created in 1895, became right. a professional sport. And because it was a, it split from Rugby Union, it's a very long story, but it created in 1895. And because it was a professional sport, they quickly reduced the number of players on the field. They changed to the, you know, the, the, the six plays system yeah, yeah. To, to actually have the ball in play more. So it was more interesting to watch. More visible to the fans, yeah. Yeah, a bit like, you know, like, you know, Gridiron very quickly looked at rugby and went, well, we don't fancy this, you know, not having the ball buried for an hour, you know, let's let's do this. So, like I said, it was similar. And there's an element of what it's so, you know, they changed it to make it more entertaining. So why didn't more people watch it and, like, abandon rugby union? And it's the kind of, because there's so much more to sport than the spectacle that you're seeing. It's about culture, it's about where you come from, it's about how you identify with it and all that kind of stuff. And that's where rugby league... It comes from a very specific part of Northern England. So people there love it. But trying to get somebody who went to a private school in the south of England to move away from Rugby Union to watch it, they're not interested. Uh, There's also the fact that Rugby Union is the, the game of elite people in, in, in England, particularly. 
So, you know, the Royals play it, all the people who went to the good schools play it, so all the people who get the big jobs play it. And, and you know, I've, I could go on for a very long time about this, but rugby league was actively suppressed by those elites for oh. 100 years. You know, so it's it's fighting quite a hard fight. So, and so people get a bit annoyed about rugby league people being a bit chip on the shoulder about this stuff. <laughs> but, they, but they've got a good reason to, because they were basically shot all over for a century. So. So what, I'll give you one example. Rugby, rugby, rugby league was not allowed to be played in the British Armed Forces until 1997. Well, 1997. It wasn't allowed until then. Only rugby union couldn't be played. That's, oh, that's wow. an example of how the, the, the power structures of, of Great us, Britain. That tells you where the officer corps comes from, I guess. Right? Yeah, yeah. Shut, shut rugby league out, yeah. Wow. So what would it take to get you to put your butt in a seat in a stadium to watch a match now? Would it be a local league game? Would it, you know, would it be England playing Wales and Cardiff to, discer- to determine the winner of the Six Nations? Like, Is there a um, match that would get you there in person right now? Um, well, I went to I actually, I went to watch. I was in Cardiff for the weekend recently. I went to watch Cardiff versus Connacht in the URC because I was, oh, you did. was on. So it was quite. It was quite. I live about an hour's drive away from Sale, so I could okay. go and see them a little bit more than I would. But also, I live about an hour away from my rugby league team as well. I just don't have this part of my sort of routine to go all the time. I could easily do it now. My kids are growing up and stuff, and maybe I should start doing it. So there's no particular game I'm waiting for to go. I think. I think it's just I did. It hasn't been a huge part of my life to, excuse me, to go to games a lot um, in the past, you know, decade or so. It certainly wouldn't be. Oh, I'd, I'd only go if it was a big international game. To be honest, you know, a lot of international games are a pain in the ass to get tickets for, and you've got to get a hotel and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so it would probably just be some club games, and I'd probably go and see. I'd, I'd probably like to. Yeah, I probably might get off my backside and go see some European games. Actually, depending on where they are. Oh, the idea of seeing a rugby match in France seems so appealing to me. The, the crowds are so bonkers. They, they bring, you know, brass bands and everything. Oh, it just seems like the whole scene. I haven't done amazing. that yet. And I would like to do that. So I would like to go to Claremont or La Rochelle or Toulouse and see a game. And actually from where we are, you know, America's obviously a very different place, isn't it? From where we are, I can, I can fly two hours, less than two hours to get to Toulouse or La Rochelle. So it's, it's not exactly a big thing to do. So yeah. I should, if I can get out of the country, we're not locked down, obviously. Obviously, I'm supposed to be, I'm actually supposed to be going to Seville at the end of January to watch the Sevens tournament there. Oh. But um, I'm not sure I'll be able to go. I think they, we, they might be locking British people out in Spain soon. Oh. I think. Ah, good times. Well, uh, I should I should let you go. You've already given me more time than you had promised, but I did no want to, I wanted to ask real quick, so fans of your pod know that you are a musician and that music is pretty important to you. So I just wanted to know, can you talk a little bit about that? So I, I know you're a guitarist. I assume you've had bands in the past. Was that sort of a, a high school yeah. thing, a college thing after that? What, what's the story? I wouldn't call myself a musician. I'd say somebody plays, I'm somebody who plays instruments, I guess. And I think that's a bit lofty to call myself a musician. Actually, I, I play, so if we go back, I, um, like every, I was a teenager. I was 16 in 1992 which was the absolute heart of the grunge thing. Oh, yeah. And before that, I was, um, I, I spent some time living in my my nana's house, my, my grandmother's house after my parents divorced. And my mum's brother is actually only eight years older than me. He was a huge fan of like mod music, sort of jam and who and oh, okay. kinks and all that stuff. So I got really into kind of old rock and, and soul music as well, really. So I was always a bit more of a rock and rock type fan. So then grunge came along and it's, oh, I can play this, you know, I, I, 
But interestingly, and I'd always wanted to play drums, so I actually started out as a drummer. I was huh. a drummer in a band for most of my life, and I still think drums is what I do best, even though I do it least now. So I was in a, a teenage band, and we wrote our own stuff, and we got quite a, a, a big local following. And then we then all went to uni. So we all went off to university college, you know. So And, and weirdly, I always look back on that. I think none of us stopped and thought, well, should we give, a, give the band a year and go to college after that? But I think we were so desperate to get out of these small towns and <laughs> all ran off to university so so then I, I played drums a bit in uni just doing some jam bands and stuff and then I had the kids and, and then just picked the drums up again and it's mostly covers band stuff now and then I've, I've ended up becoming a guitarist and we've got another drummer now and I sing as well so it's so it's actually to be honest I was a bit frustrated yeah, the, Keith, the Keith Moon mentality that I don't want to be back here I want to be out the front of it because the reason why I do a podcast is obviously I've I like my voice to be heard, I guess. So, <laughs> yeah, but no, I, I enjoy doing it. I constantly feel like I'm not as good as I should be. You know, rugby's a bit, uh, sorry, guitar's a bit like golf. The more you do it, you seem to get worse at it. So, <laughs> because you expect to get better, it's relative. You, know, you think I should be going on this upward curve constantly. You, you're not. Which is very <laughs> well, you had your, uh, there was a great performance of your Nirvana uh, cover about Steve Diamond a couple of years ago. I've been, uh, I think I emailed you at the time and suggested you should do uh, Peter Steft's toy and Snyman to the tune of uh, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. But uh... that'll be very good. I see. Yes. <laughs> I, think, I do enjoy doing the songs, but again, it's fun the time because you've got to go sit right them and stuff. And it's just, you know, it's all the time. And I work, you know, as you said, I do work full time as well as podcasts. So it's not like I'm sat around all day creating stuff. I do actually have the, the job of work to do as well. So I know, I know you're a huge Who fan. Uh, have, yeah. you, have you seen the Who in concert? Some, some, some iter iteration of them? I saw the Who first in 1989 uh, when I was 13 with my, my the uncle I just mentioned. He was nine years old. Was, was the Kenny Smith playing drums that year? He wasn't. It was, they'd split up in 82 and they got back. They, they got, that was Kenny Jones. Kenny split Jones. Up in 82 when Kenny Jones was there. They got back together for Live Aid in 85, which had Kenny Jones, and then they just went their separate ways. Then in 1989, because it was the 30th anniversary of Tommy being released. Oh, right. They got back together again to do a Tommy tour, basically. Right. And it was, but it was a very strange tour because it was uh, Simon Phillips was on drums. The that was it, Simon drum. Phillips. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and, but they also had a big horn section and backing singers. It was quite a big right. thing. And so that was, uh, I saw them at Birmingham, NEC, Birmingham, as you might say, NEC. So, um, Yes, I saw them in 1989. Then they all obviously went off and did their own thing again, and they got back together again in the late 90s. And since then, I've seen them four times, I think. Oh, so wow. The best time I saw them was at Shepherd's Bush Empire Theatre. It's obviously they're from Shepherd's Bush. Yeah, so yeah. Near enough there. Shepherd's Bush Empire is not a very big theatre. They got back together again. They did a really big sort of all the hit set, really close up to see Townsend at work on stage, oh, wow. which is one of the most amazing things you'll ever see, really, is, is him on stage. So, um, Historically, yeah, really. un historically underestimated, I would say, Pete Townsend. It's, there's a lot going on there without the... Nobody plays guitar like him. Nobody. To say. Yeah. And, so, and just the sheer, the sheer energy and presence of him on stage is... Oh, yeah, there's the, there's the famous photo that it's like the before and after Pete Townsend, the before the, the gig, he's, and he's jumping up in the dressing room with his Les Paul, and then afterwards, and he's got the hand like this, and there's blood coming down his fingers from the way he just, you know, the, yeah, the windmill, yeah. Yeah, it was not good on his fingers. If you try to, if you try to do a windmill, your body won't allow yourself to do it because it's too dangerous because you're going to slice your finger. Well, he just commits to it completely, which is yeah. mad. Yeah. There was a great documentary called The Kids Are All, All Right. You probably came across it with some great interviews with him and you know 
there's an interview where Ringo Starr is interviewing Keith Moon and uh, Keith is saying how, oh yes, you know, when people do throw things, I, I turn my symbols up this way. So I get, he says, desiccated egg and sliced tomato. And yes. I just bring, sprinkle some salt and Italian seasonings. And... Yeah. That's a great film, that. Yeah. But who didn't like it? Didn't like that film. Really? I just, yeah. I mean, to be honest, things, I loved him as a teenager. And of course, there's a whole pre-Towns end with the, you know, the, the, the pedophile thing, his computer. And then, and and when you read, I've read Dolce's autobiography, I've read, I basically read all the books about them. I mean, to be honest, mm. to a man, they're all arseholes one way or another. I suppose all rock stars maybe are, but in very different ways, they're all just, I mean, reading about Keith Mooney was just a, a, a coercive, controlled domestic abuser, basically, mm. beneath all the kind of madness. It was, so yeah, it's easy to, um, to I suppose, just focus on the, the wild stuff. They were all just, yeah, not very nice people, I think. Well, obviously, so, I mean, obviously, Daltrey and, and Townsend are still alive, but uh, we're just, yeah. Yeah, I got to see Roger Daltrey on the, he did his Under a Raging Moon album, the sort of tribute yeah, to yeah, yeah, Moon. Yeah. I, got to, I got to see that tour. All uh, oh, right, right. Big Country was the opening act. Scot Scotland's uh, oh, own Big Country. That absolutely hammers the time frame. Doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I even had he had a Scottish marching snare as part of his kit too. It was like ten inches around and eighteen inches deep. Just whack! Yeah, <laughs> it was fantastic. So, do you have a favorite guitarist? You know, a performance you've seen in person? I was really lucky. I got to see Stevie Ray Vaughan five different times before he died, and uh, he definitely is going to hold the record for me. I think he probably was Townsend. Uh, yeah, leaving aside all the stuff about not very really nice people, but actually, as a watching them, you know, he just he just completely loses himself in the performance, really. At one point, he couldn't quite get his guitar. His guitar was feeding back the way that he wanted it. And he was probably in his, he was probably in his, early, his late 50s, early 60s then. And he just, like, you know, he shouted fuck or whatever his guitar and, like, spit all from out of his mouth because he was so worked up. He just launched the guitar and demanded another one came on stage and stuff. He just, and it's just something, that's what you kind of want from your performance, really, in, in music or in rugby, I guess, complete commitment. So he, and watching up close, the noise he makes is just unbelievable. Because really. they're a three-piece to hear, really, with a singer, aren't they? So that's true. You know, yeah. So it's, a, it's yeah. And, and John Entersaw's still alive then, of course. So he's still had that, which is really good. Uh, does Does Jimi Hendrix write for you? Where are you on does, where, where are you on Hendrix? Do I like Hendrix? Oh, yeah. I love Hendrix. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Amazing guitarist. And again, Townsend sort of says, you know, he was about Hendrix says that he just pissed everybody off because he just came along but he was so good. They were like, oh, Christ, sort of thing. You know, he had to, he'd be brought to England by Chas Chandler, the manager, you know, and he was, and he was putting him out, like, wheeling him around to show people. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he, he kind of, way, he wasn't just technically what he did, really percussive style of playing, like, chord-based solo, in a way, a lot of it, really good stuff. But, um, but what he did with effects, he just completely transformed the sounds of coming out of guitars as well. I mean, the, the guy's fingers, I had a, a poster of him as a kid and it, like, it, it, he made the guitar neck look like a broom handle. He could be playing, yeah, a, huge a, hands, a, a, yeah. you know, an E-shaped bar chord with his thumb all the way around. Underrated it's, singer as well. Didn't like his own voice, but really, again, very really rhythmic voice, very good. For sure. Yeah, you, you talked about Bob Dylan inspiring. It's like, if that guy can get paid to sing, I might as well do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lee, I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much for being here on the Scrum of the Earth. Do, um, what are your plans for the holiday? Are you, do you have, are you cooking or are you letting people cook for you? Or do you have we are cooking. Over? Well, my wife tends to run the cook. I can cook, but she tends to take over the Christmas and I'll chip in. So, I'm, yeah, my, my, um, I've got my mom and dad coming around. They're divorced, but they're coming around with their 
and my nan is coming round, so that should be okay. But yeah, so a few people around, and then we've got some. Uh, my wife's family are coming for New Year, so that should be nice. Um, so yeah, but just at home with people visiting, basically. What about yourself? Same thing. We we had a whole plan. Uh, my sister-in-law lives in New York, and so. My, my in-laws are in Texas, so we thought we'd all convene on New York City. We got tickets to see the Rockettes, and uh, we could go to see the Lion King and go to fancy restaurants, and uh, we've canceled those plans. So so she's going to drive uh, here today and get to see my son at least, so we'll have a mini mini Christmas followed by a much more intimate one <laughs> on yeah. Saturday. So things are what they are, as people like to say. And at least we've got people to come and spend time with should never forget that yeah well the fact is i have a ton to be thankful for you know none of us have gotten sick um you know there are many many people all over the world who have it much much worse than we do and uh i try to remind myself of that all the time yeah amen well my friend thank you so much for joining me it's been fantastic i hope you have a lovely weekend and a great new year um thank you for doing the podcast it's it's the highlight of my week every week it's it's always just so much fun uh don't be afraid to get more more of those songs in there it's always great for us <laughs> listeners when you when the, you bust those out and, i was uh, gonna make some views on the songs so is that right oh yeah, come yeah. on i know like, whatever i said you can you can use your 30 second skip one last at the beginning no but thank you for having me and i hope and all the best for the podcast Thank you so much. I will talk to you very soon. Thank you for everything. Have a great new year and talk to you soon. Thanks. Well, that is going to do it for this bonus episode. I, I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. If you like what you're hearing, you'll find ways to support us in the show notes. And if you'd like to get in touch, please do. It would really be nice to hear how you're all faring over this little mini holiday break here. So, of course, the Premiership and the URC both get back into action this weekend. So I'll be here, I'm guessing, on Tuesday, uh, since there are actual Monday games this week, to cover it all for you. So thank you so much, as always, for listening. Cheers. Talk to you soon. And be well. Yeah.